is Teresa Clark with Africa.com. We are here as part of the Inciting Impact Series sponsored by Standard Bank. Today we're talking about impact investing and we have two fabulous speakers joining us today. We are thrilled that we have impact investors from the two largest economies on the continent, one from Nigeria, one from South Africa, and they both also happen to be women who do investing through a gender lens. So we just couldn't be any more pleased to have experts on this topic uh, who are with us today. And that is Adesua Okumbu Rhodes, who is with Arua Capital Management in Nigeria, and Hemavalva, who is the founding partner at 535 Ventures and the co-founder at WOMHUB and WOMENG in South Africa. Thank you both for taking the time from your busy schedules to join us today. I'm going to start with Adesua, and why don't you tell us a little bit about your work in impact investing and a bit about what Arua Capital does. Yeah, sure. Thank you very much, uh, Teresa, for having me on today. Um, So I'm the founder and managing partner of Arua Capital Management. Uh, We're an early stage uh, growth equity and gender lens uh, and impact fund, uh, investing into small and medium-sized businesses in specifically Nigeria and Ghana. Um, We're investing into early stage growth companies uh, that provide essential goods and services to women or businesses that are founded or led by women or have gender diverse teams uh, or women active in their value chains. Uh, We are intentionally looking to address the access to capital gap uh, for women in Africa uh, across all levels. Uh, So that's not only women owned businesses, but also as consumers, Um, uh, also looking to um, uh, increase uh, gender equality within our portfolio companies once we invest. Um, And we're really, really focused on making sure that the companies that we're investing into uh, are um, not only generating financial returns, but we're also very intentional about job creation. We're also very intentional about improving gender equality across all levels of the company's value chain. Um, uh, In terms of sectors, we're typically investing in in companies that are providing essential goods and services to the rapidly growing and urbanizing population in our markets. Um, So that is access to healthcare, that is financial services, that's access to essential consumer goods, uh, and that's renewable energy. Um, When we've invested in financial institutions, Uh, We're looking for institutions that are using technology and their distribution networks to reach the bottom of the pyramid, uh, mostly in rural areas, mostly providing financial inclusion to women. Uh, When we've invested in healthcare, we're investing in businesses that are, you know, we've invested in a company that's locally manufacturing daily hygiene goods and necessities such as sanitary pads for women and girls, but also baby diapers and adult diapers. Uh, We've also invested in a retail pharmacy chain that is using technology to aggregate community pharmacies under one technology platform and marketplace to help them purchase medicines, uh, optimize their daily operations, uh, and thus reducing the prevalence of fake medicines in our core markets. Um, So we're very intentional about using our investments to showcase the seamless intersection you can have between strong financial returns and long-term positive social impact, but also showcasing the business case uh, of women Um, and and unlocking the potential of women across Africa, uh, either as capital allocators, because we're one of the few African women-owned private equity funds on the continent, uh, either as consumers, where we're providing essential uh, uh, goods and services to that female economy, uh, or either as women entrepreneurs and founders. 
uh, and our existing portfolio uh, of about four investments uh, is already showcasing that and validating that. Um, so yeah, excited to talk talk about uh, what we're doing today. Well, that's fantastic. There's a lot to talk about there, Adeswa. Thank you for giving us that overview. And now let's go turn to Hema and let's get a sense of what you do. We'd like to learn more about your fund and the other activities that you're involved in as well. Sure, thank you so much, Teresa. And I, I certainly am an inspired and like-minded company. Um, it's fantastic hearing about this was this was background. Um, I'm sort of, I, I often start this conversation saying I'm actually very much the antithesis of the typical fund manager who I'm sure um, people in the space typically engage with. I'm an engineer turned entrepreneur, now turned investor. Um, and you know, for the better part of the last two decades have been playing under the gender parity umbrella really, um, you know, trying to level the playing field for women, particularly in the engineering and tech sector. Um, and, and we have worked globally, but with a strong focus on the African continent. Um, I started my journey um, first starting a nonprofit organization called WOMENG, supporting and developing the talent pipeline for girls and women in engineering, um, and partly parallel to actually working in the oil and gas space as an engineer in what feels like a past, past life. Um, but then start out, uh, spun out from WOMINS to start WOMHUB, which is a today positioned as a boutique incubator, accelerator, and after the very first female-only co-working hub and innovation space uh, for women in tech in Africa. And it was really with, you know, really developing really strong, incredible female-led businesses, again, in the, under the tech umbrella, that I saw, you know, such incredible potential, but just not enough capital being allocated and channeled this way. Um, I'm sure I don't need to talk about the stats of how little funding, you know, goes to women-led businesses globally, but again, especially on the continent. So it was with that in mind that a couple of years ago, I took a leap into the VC space and I'm now raising my first fund called 535 Ventures. Um, sort of playing on the other side of the spectrum to Adesua, I'm in early stage, um, businesses, seed stage. So the, the thesis for 535 is to invest in pan-African female-led tech-enabled businesses at a seed stage across Africa. Um, and you know, for us, it, it is, it's really all in the name. So we do know if we add more women entrepreneurs to the African ecosystem, we could see up to a 5% GDP uplift. And that's really by leveraging the 35% higher ROI that you typically see in female-led businesses over all male-led teams. Um, you know, and I think that is so us said it exactly the right way, you know, impact and returns are not mutually exclusive, you know, for us, 535 is unapologetically a highly commercial fund, but by virtue of investing in women, investing in the continent, for us, impact is table stakes. Um, some of the investments, um, we've just been started, but we have done some early investments. Um, and like I said, female-led, very much defined along the lines of the 2x challenge. So as long as it's female co-owned, female led and intentionally female consumer base or a largely female employment base, um, that's the qualifying criteria for us. And the tech enabled, um, we're sector agnostic from a tech perspective, but as long as it does have a tech component. So we've made a couple of investments in the health tech space, the fintech space, uh, tech marketplace, um, and yeah, a few good ones in the cybersecurity and AI space that we're now tracking. But one more thing that adds impact for me from a gender lens is not only are we a female-led fund investing in female-led businesses, I'm intentional and deliberate about getting more female LPs as investors into my fund. And as such, I've created a special um, purpose vehicle um, 
called 35 a club that will allow more women to, you know, make the, make the investment space more accessible. But we can talk about that a bit more later. Adeswa, um, let's come back to you and talk a little bit more. You've given us a good sense of what your investment criteria are and how you impact women um, through the portfolio investments that you make. Can you talk to us a little bit about measuring impact? Do you have metrics that you use to, to measure if you're, if you're an impact fund? How do you measure and define that impact more specifically? Sure, so um, for us, um, we, we believe and you know we define impact as 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 Hema said it's not mutually exclusive you know we 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 define it as generating strong financial return uh, whilst delivering you know positive and so uh, long-term social impact that is pre-identified and defined before every every investment so um, we think to de deliver impact investing you really need to be intentional about the impact that you're trying to achieve uh, and for us it's really two overarching uh, objectives. Uh, it's enabling job creation with the growth capital that we provide for underrepresented groups, such as such as women. Um, uh, but it's also um, uh, addressing uh, gender equality. Uh, and I think that the UN SDG um, Sustainable De uh, Development Goals provide a very good reference point uh, for how we think about our impact and how we measure our impact. So for us, uh, it's UNSDG 5, uh, which is gen you know, addressing gender equality, uh, and UNSDG 8, uh, which is uh, decent jobs and, and economic growth. So for every investment, uh, we're, we're taking that into mind, um, and we make sure that we're tracking um, you know, the number of jobs that we're creating uh, on, a, on a sex dis disaggregated basis, so for men and women um, uh, with every investment. Uh, we also have um, our gender action plan, so we, we track and we use the 2x challenge uh, criteria where we're seeing, you know, what is the percentage of the women in the workforce when we're going into this investment, uh, what is the percentage of women on the board, what is the percentage of women as suppliers in the, in the value chain, uh, what is the percentage of women in ownership on the cap table, um, so we're very intentional about making sure that pre our investment, we have a good, uh, you know, we've kind of done a good screening. Uh, and if they're lower than we, you know, uh, lower than um, what they should be in certain sectors, uh, we always have a gender action plan to improve those uh, metrics throughout our investment period. Um, so for us, I would say those are the overarching um, um, impact metrics we use for each portfolio company. And then we get specific once you go into different sectors. So we may have the impact metrics for uh, a, a fintech business that may be different for a healthcare business, uh, but uh, our, our overarching um, uh, impact metrics are always around job creation and how we're empowering women across every as aspect of the value chain in our companies. Uh, and I think that the, the 2X challenge criteria is, is a good reference point uh, for us in terms of how we measure gender. Uh, and then for jobs, um, you know, that, that's, that's pretty straightforward. And so do you have, for job creation, do you have a metric whereby you say for every, for example, million dollars that we invest, we want to see X number of jobs being created? Or is it just making the investment and tracking the outcomes after you've made the investment? 
Yeah, so I think I think it's 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 hard to have a specific um, number because every company and every you know capex plan or working capital project is different. Uh, but you know, to give an example, we we did a we did a, our first investment in a local manufacturer um, of a range of personal hygiene goods that have um, eight different production lines. Uh, and following our investment in working capital, um, since our investment, we've seen about ninety five jobs being created, direct jobs being created. Um, and in Africa, uh, there's a saying that goes that for every job that you create, 25 or 30 people are fed. Um, so even though we've created you know, 95 direct jobs in that investment, the indirect jobs and the multiplier impact that we're having in those local communities are, are enormous. Um, so for us, it's making sure that the businesses that we're funding are you know are businesses that are viable that can that will be growing uh, and that will be utilizing our growth capital in, in business models that are proven um, so that as we create those jobs you know those are sustainable direct jobs that are going to be created and have a multiplier effect in, in the communities that we serve so I wouldn't say we have predefined um, um, not, you know job creation numbers but we definitely know that within the sectors and within the types of um, projects that we're funding, we have a good idea of the types of jobs that um, that we want to that we want to create. Now, several years ago, I was doing some work with the Ford Foundation in Nigeria, and at that point in time, they were looking at impact investing, and the head of the Ford Foundation for West Africa then really had a different view about this, and that she didn't think that one needed to refine investing as impact investing because in her view, every investment that was made into Nigeria had an impact that if you made a good financial investment and it grows, you're going by definition to make more jobs. And so she thought that, you know, calling a job, a, uh, calling an investment, a job creating investment was redundant. Um, and so I'm interested to know what, what you think about that concept. I mean, is it just come naturally or do you think that it's important to be intentional about creating jobs as you look at two different investment alternatives, as well as the fact that the more, you know, you could also argue that the more jobs you make, the less the financial returns might be because you're increasing expenses. So I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on, on those topics. No, I think, I think that's a very good point. Uh, and I think for us, you know, first and foremost, we're looking to make money. Um, so uh, we are, uh, you know, we're a, a market driven and a market uh, rate fund. Uh, so first and foremost, we're looking to make money. Uh, but you're right in, in, in Africa. And, you know, the reason that I left my very comfortable desk in, in JP Morgan in London to come to Africa and, and you know, and run my own fund uh, is because in Africa, there is a seamless intersection between profit and purpose. Uh, you don't have to sacrifice return for impact. Uh, the fact that you're able to invest in a viable business, yes, you know, by investing in that business and growing that business, job creation is a by is a is a is a is a byproduct of that. You know, Nigeria's jobless rate right now is 33%. It's one of the highest in, you know rate in the world. Uh, so private equity and venture capital is a, a very very um, natural vehicle to reduce unemployment uh, and is actually you know something that we're very very conscious of doing uh, but we're not going to um, you know invest in a company and, and just you know 
create uh, jobs that are not relevant <laughs> or jobs that don't make sense because we're trying to hit our impact metrics. Uh, first and foremost, we, you know, we're looking to invest in viable, profitable businesses that are generating a market rate return. But because we're in these environments where we're starting from such a low base, uh, you know, like Nigeria, where unemployment is through the roof and other countries in Africa where, where you know, we have significant development challenges, um, you're able to have that seamless intersection between profit and, uh, and purpose. So I would say I, I agree and disagree. And the fact that you still have to be in intentional about the types of jobs you want to create, uh, because not every job is, you know, a skilled job. Not every job is a sustainable job. You know, you have casual workers, you have permanent workers, you have, you know, uh, part-time workers. So it's really being intentional about, okay, well, if, if, I'm, if I'm increasing jobs for women in this factory, is it permanent skilled jobs or is it casual jobs that, you know, is not going to be sustainable to feed their families? Um, so not every job is equal, uh, is what is what we 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 believe in our in our in our impact uh, investing strategy. Um, but but first and foremost, um, you know the market rate return is first. Uh, but Africa is beautiful in that way, in the, in the fact that yes, you don't have to sacrifice return for impact at all. Impact is just a, a necessary is just a byproduct of the investing that we're doing because we're starting from such a low base where you know, there's significant poverty and un unemployment in our markets. Now, and just what, this argument works very well on the way up. So that if you make an investment in a growing business, you can presumably increase your financial return while creating more jobs. But for some businesses, they may reach a point where reducing the size of the workforce is the rational financial decision to make. And so what do you do when you reach that point? Do you sacrifice the jobs in order to make sure that you maintain the financial return? How do you deal with that in a tricky down market down context? Yeah, so I think for us, uh, we're in the earliest stages. Uh, so we're, we're not seed like, uh, like HEMA. Uh, we're kind of in between uh, seed and series A. So this, these are businesses that have proven their business model and they're at that inflection point of growth where growth capital is necessary for them to reach that inflection point. Um, so we will never, we won't have to make that decision um, 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 yet. Uh, we, we, are, we are really just focused on providing growth capital for our companies. But I think as we scale up our companies and we think about, okay, well, you know, this is a company that has now reached a, 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 a kind of a, a mature state where, you know, profit, it will be um, uh, imperative and you know, we, we should start thinking about cutting jobs. Uh, I think it would have to be on a case by case basis. You know, uh, for us, obviously we want to make sure that we're not, um, you know, we're not um, sacrificing return uh, for impact, uh, but it would have to be on a case by case basis. I, 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 don't, I don't think I can give you an answer <laughs> um, today without having the company in front of me because uh, the way, you know, from what we've seen with every investment that we've done, you know, these are fast growing businesses that have just lacked access to capital. Uh, they, 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 they just lack that access to, uh, to incremental capital to take them to that next stage of growth. Uh, and it is, as a result of that capital, they're hiring more people. Uh, as a result of that capital, they're expanding outside of Nigeria. They're able to export, they're able to. So it's just such a multiplier effect that we've seen. Um, we haven't seen a situation, well, because our companies just haven't reached that stage where we're thinking about, uh, you know, reducing headcount in any way. 
Okay, good. Well, thank you, Adesua. Let's come back to you for a moment, Emma. Um, you know, it's, you're out in the market raising money for your fund today. And what are you hearing from investors? Um, are you finding that the investment market you think has different in the last 18 months than it might have been previously? Or is there a greater level of interest in impact investing in what might be considered traditional investors just based on where we are as a society um, in the post-COVID world? Yeah, so thank you so much. And you know, so I have quite an interesting perspective and sometimes um, and I want to, you know, try to be a bit diplomatic about this, but yes, I think the, for one, we know that everyone's attention is currently on Africa, right? Everybody knows that Africa is the next big opportunity. We've seen incredible fintechs come out. We've had more unicorns this year alone than we have, you know, in the recent past. And in, in you know, thinking about what 535 was going to be, we made a very deliberate decision for it to be a VC fund and not use the word impact fund. One of the reasons is, again, perspective and context. I think when it comes to Africa, and I think someone's a bit earlier, by, by investing in Africa is, in fact, not a given. By investing in women, by investing in underrepresented founders or type of businesses, impact is going to be there. But I think sometimes using the term impact to your point about, you know, at the end of the day, people invest because they want to make money, they want to see returns. And the term impact can also be distracting in the sense of, I feel in Africa, it also has a connotation of charity mentality. Um, and it goes back to the fact that impact and returns are not mutually exclusive. So, you know, what I found, and I've spent the last month on a global fundraising tour, and when I speak to people about the potential in Africa, about job creation, about returns, about why research shows that women show better returns, people are a lot more receptive than simply saying, I'm raising an impact fund, um, you know, there's going to be great change, there's going to be great, um, you know, social, social impact, that people sometimes take it less seriously, unfortunately. And also the numbers they have in mind, what level they will invest in, isn't always the same. Whereas if I'm saying, you know, this is the VC fund, this is the type of businesses, this is the return. And then, of course, impact is table stakes. So, Hema, thank you. Um, so you're out there talking to investors today. One of the questions that we have for you is clearly African investors are adopting an ESG lens looking at environmental, social, and governance matters as they make investments. Do you find that the investors you're talking to have an equal level of interest in environmental matters as social or social versus environmental? You know, particularly, we're having this conversation at the launch of COP26, and we're wanting to think about the environmental issues for Africa. And yet sometimes Africa puts social in front of the environment. So I'm curious to see how that balance um, works as you're looking to raise money and how much interest you might see on both the E and the S. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're your spot. And I think Africa in general does put social before the environmental. There's a couple of reasons which we can unpack why. But also from our fund perspective, um, if you think about Africa as a continent, right, the market is still quite nascent. And arguably, especially with COP happening at the moment, there's a lot of focus on environmental as they should be. However, um, you know, if you look at the developed world um, and the carbon credits, everything on the environmental side, that's full frontal. In Africa, 
instead of trying to retrofit, we're going to have to leapfrog some of the solutions rather. And in terms of developing businesses, and especially the ones I'm looking at at seed stage, we do look at those who will have um, an environmental impact, you know, as they grow in scale. Having said that, we do put social slightly ahead of that, given, and I think one of the reasons why social generally comes um, before our um, environmental and Africa perspective is because one of the biggest untapped resources on the continent are our people. Africa is the youngest continent in terms of, you know, age of the, uh, age of the um, population and in building businesses, regulation and otherwise, people are the biggest resource in which we can scale businesses. This is, again, why job creation is so important and setting up young businesses in particular with the right governance and social structures in terms of how do we um, employ a population better, how do we get the majority of the population to um, engage in economically viable activity and also the move from the informal sector into the formal sector. That's where we're going to see economic change as well. So, you know, one would argue it's perhaps, and I say this a bit facetiously in quotes, um, the easier or the more full frontal of the three that we need to tackle before we even can even talk just specifically around environmental. Adeswa, coming back to you, um, let's talk about the fact that there might be some women out there who are seeking investment. Now you are in the growth capital stage, not startups. So tell us what a, um, what would a company have to have achieved in order to be considered for funding by you? I know it's Nigeria and Ghana, and it must be growth so that they must have already proven themselves to a certain level and need the money for expansion. Can you help explain a little bit more about what the specific criteria are? Yeah, sure. So for us, um, we want to see companies that are either providing essential goods and services to women. Uh, so those could be male-owned or female-owned, uh, or businesses that are founded, co-founded by women or have women in their teams or, or, or active in their value chains. Um, so our investment criteria is very simple. It's, you know, you meet one of those criteria as a business. Uh, as a business. Uh, you have minimum uh, revenues of at least $300,000, um, because that would show us that for the growth capital that you want um, funding for, you've already made some, you know, you've already generated revenues from that, from that business model. Um, and you've been operating, you've been in existence for at least two years uh, as an operating business. Um, and um, you're either domiciled in Nigeria or Ghana, or at least, you know, generating a significant uh, amount of revenues uh, from one of those two countries. Um, so for us, a lot of the businesses that we funded, uh, you know, they've typically raised their seed round already, they're now either looking to raise their Series A uh, or we're funding part of their Series A. Uh, and we're typically investing anywhere between $500,000 to $2 million uh, per investment. Uh, we've done four investments so far. Uh, the first one is a local manufacturer of uh, personal hygiene goods. Um, so they're providing essential goods and you know essential basic hygiene goods like sanitary pads to women and girls in rural areas but also 40% of their value chain were also female distributors, uh, which we loved. Uh, our second investment uh, is a retail pharmacy chain uh, where uh, they have uh, mostly um, uh, within their uh, value chain. Uh, so they have a retail pharmacy chain, but they also have a, a pharmacy network 
where about 55% of those pharmacies in their network are women owned. Um, so that's one that we, we, we invested in this year. Uh, and we've also just announced uh, a recent investment uh, into a female co-founded fintech um, that has operations in Nigeria, Kenya, and Ghana um, uh, that we're very excited about. You know, they're bringing credit uh, and financial services to women in rural areas that otherwise wouldn't have access. Uh, and we're just about to announce, um, so this is an exclusive for Africa.com, uh, we're just about to announce uh, an investment into uh, a, a leading exporter of hibiscus. Um, so they're a wellness brand, a consumer wellness brand, um, co-founded uh, by women uh, exporting hibiscus to the US and Mexico. Uh, they have about 90% of their workforce as women, including female smallholder farmers in northern Nigeria. Uh, that we're very excited to, to work with. Um, so, uh, you know, we're very, very intentional about making sure that for every investment that we make, uh, you know, women are, in get, are getting empowered somewhere in the value chain, either as founders, either as entrepreneurs, uh, or, you know, or either as, you know, women in the management teams, uh, or, you know, like the, like the female smallholder farmers in, in, in Kano, uh, that we will be, um, that we will be empowering as part of our fourth investment. Well, great. Well, congratulations on your latest hibiscus um, investment. That sounds very promising. And so we wish you well on that one. For people who don't understand impact investing, can you talk a little bit about what your investment horizon is and what your exit strategies are and what that means for the impact when you sell out, as I imagine your investors want you to do in, I don't know, five, seven years or whatever your time horizon is. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So for us, you know, we're looking to, uh, like most um, funds, we're looking to exit uh, in a four to six year horizon. Um, and as you know, because we actively are tracking our, our, our impact uh, on a quarterly, on an annual basis, we actually think that not only is it a way, you know, to mitigate risk, but it's also a great way to uh, create value for these companies. Because right now, uh, and I think COVID has also accelerated this, you know, a lot of institutional investors, a lot of private equity funds are thinking about ESG, are thinking about impact. So we think that as a kind of a, as, a, as our value add, not only as we institutionalize these businesses from a corporate governance perspective uh, and an operational perspective, we're also institutionalizing them and making sure that they're, they're also using ESG uh, to, to improve um, um, uh, outcomes in their business. Uh, and something that, you know, the next private equity investor or the next trade buyer or multinational when they're buying these business when, when we exit, uh, will we'll definitely care about, uh, because I think that COVID has taught us uh, that, um, you know, we're very, very interconnected. It's pushed a lot of people into poverty. It's made people think about climate change, you know, racial justice, gender equality. So it's top of mind now for a lot of institutional investors. So we think that as we, as we actively are intentional about ESG and impact within our portfolios, as we exit and as we um, uh, as we're looking to sell to the next, you know, private equity fund or, or company, um, it's something that that will actually help to enhance uh, the value of our businesses because it's it's at the top of mind now for most people, uh, most investors on the continent, uh, but also most investors uh, globally now. And Hema, when you think about that same question, what are you telling the prospective investors who are looking at your fund? 
how do you think about your exit strategies and what that means for the companies that you've empowered? Sure, yeah. So very similar, but also a different thinking given the stage that we're at. So, um, you know, we're a seven-year fund and given that we're investing in seed stage businesses, um, as I mentioned earlier, a large part of our impact measurements is around also job creation. Um, and also just because of the, the type of um, companies we're investing in early stage are still busy putting, the, putting their governance in place as well, right? So opportunities to have more women at leadership level, the more, more women at um, board level and the like. And for us, our sort of exit events, our liquidity events, if you will, will be into the follow-on round of funding. So a couple of things that we're doing in particular around impact measurement, um, again, alongside financial returns is um, you know, the post-investment support that we are, are, we, are we putting together for our portfolio companies, um, specifically with the gender lens on, is where we will see how we guide them into better corporate partnerships, better follow-on funding, and, and the like. And that will largely be the, uh, a metric by which we then measure the success of our impact. Um, the second is around the advisory capacity. So I mentioned in the introduction that you know one of the things we're doing is a 35 club, which is a way for is a way for um, women to in, women to invest into our fund as LPs, and as such, um, and as such, they can you know become advisory board members to our portfolio companies. Um, and I think there's a mutual win there as well, right? So it's about a value add and a value gain. And how, you know, I think um, one of the quotes I love that we say in Africa is if you're going to go fast, go alone, if you're going to go far, go together. And um, for us, the impact comes from who's investing, what we're investing in, and where do they get their following investment for scale as we go along. That's great. And so when you think about um, having women as investors, how do you think that that changes the equation versus having men as investors? One of the reasons I believe why there's not enough women um, being allocated to you know, female businesses is because there just aren't enough women at the decision-making tables. Um, you know, there's a conscious and an unconscious bias in the way we allocate capital. And that's a waterfall effect. So you know, for institutions who are investing as alphas into funds like mine, and then funds who invest in businesses. And diversity on any level, whether it's diversity of thought, diversity in gender, diversity in uh, nationality, race, otherwise, just sees better results. And right now, for me, there just aren't enough women at the decision-making tables. So, you know, if I stand there as a founder and I'm presenting to you know, an investment committee of, you know, which typically, we say it like it is, is largely, you know, middle-aged white men, often, you know, from the Western world, they, there's, women have to spend so much more time even just establishing credibility, um, getting themselves in the right rooms before someone can even resonate with them on the same level. So I really do believe decision-making needs to be more diverse. And hence, you know, if we get more women investing into female fund managers, and more female fund managers then investing in diverse businesses, that should be normal. And that's when you will see the landscape change without just having to prove that we can do it, but by just then being able to focus on growing our businesses. And that's why we say, you know, use the term leveling the playing field. That's a very, very important point. You've made a lot of interesting points there. Now you're in South Africa. And so I've got to ask you this question. Um, when you think about investing through a gender-based lens, 
do you also look at investment through a race-based lens? Yeah, so just to clarify though, so I am I and my GP are based in South Africa, but we are a pan-African fund, so we will be investing across the continent. Um, but yes, absolutely. I think, you know, from the businesses that I've grown before through the nonprofits and then my incubate and accelerator, um, again, diversity is beyond, in my case, we fully focus on gender, but diversity across the spectrum. And yes, given South Africa's history around, you know, if you think of just what underrepresented means, um, yes, you know, a black female founder has certainly had a different path to perhaps a white female founder. While we don't have a race mandate for, the, for this fund in particular, um, we do look, of course, we are absolutely aware of, you know, what the business trajectory has been and how we can better support high talented founders who haven't had the same opportunities who we've had before. And that's specifically through the, through the incubator accelerator more than the fund. Yes. Well, I didn't appreciate that you were pan-African, which means that I should probably follow asking you a follow-on question as I asked Adeswa. Tell us what the criteria are for investment by the fund you're raising. So for us, the pieces of the fund is so female focused. And again, that's along the 2x challenge. So as long as it is female co-founded, female co-led, so COO, CTO, um, you know, C-suite level, a largely female consumer base, but with indigenality. So, you know, you could have a male founder who's developed, for example, a maternal health app, which is very intentionally female focused or a largely female employer base, right? So that's from, a, from the female lens on. Pan-African, so we are investing across the continent. And the pan-Africanism of our fund also comes um, across in two ways. One, um, my accelerator, Wom Hub, which is one of the pipeline feeders into the fund, has been working across the continent for the last you know, 16 years. Um, and so we have a strong pan-African pipeline, but it's also reflected in our investment committee. So we have investment committee members in Nigeria, Egypt, um, East Africa, so Uganda, but based in the Middle East, South Africa, and the DRC, which covers Francophone Africa. Um, and we were very deliberate about including both Francophone Africa and North Africa, which often gets um, excluded. The reason for the broad job geography is because we're already very niche in having a fully gender lens and a tech enablement component, which is the third criteria. So all our businesses do need to have a tech enablement component. Good. And I'm coming back to you now, Adesua, for a moment. When you think about um, where you see your business growing over the next few years, what, what do you think the company is going to look like a good you know, six, seven years from now? I think for us, um, in six, seven years, uh, we would have completed a number of very successful exits. Um, that's that. That's what we're going to be working towards, um, and showcasing. Um, and if I could just add some context to your question on on why it's better to have why it might be better to have women as capital allocators. Um, you know, for us, we think that women have a very natural competitive advantage to enhance returns through their portfolios. Uh, and also to generate um, social impact, especially if you're investing with a gender lens. Uh, because as Hema correctly said, um, you know, uh, uh, once you invest in a, in, a, in a woman as a fund manager, there is a nat natural trickle down effect to women in her portfolio. Um, female fund managers are three times as likely to invest in, in a female entrepreneur. Um, and that female entrepreneur is six times more likely to hire women within her workforce. 
Um, and we all know the research now, um, gender diversity in teams, gender diversity on boards, uh, improves profitability, enhances return, reduces risk. Um, so we're, we're very, very laser focused on showcasing that natural competitive advantage that women have as capital allocators to generate returns. Uh, but also if you care about social impact, as we invest in these women and make them financially independent in our portfolios, women are typically reinvesting 90% of their income into healthcare and into education for their children and for their families. Um, women in Nigeria on average have five to six children. Um, so we're very, very excited to showcase that multiplier effect in local communities as well in terms of the lives that we improve uh, of the women in our portfolios as well. Um, so to cut the long, very long story short, uh, in six to seven years, we really want to showcase that um, that seamless intersection between, you know, generating a 3x on an investment, but also being able to showcase the jobs and the lives of, uh, of women and men that we've changed throughout, throughout our portfolio. Uh, and on the back of that, you know, raising larger funds and increasing the, the, the assets under management of Barua. Uh, and potentially becoming, you know, a, a Pan-African a, a Pan African fund. You know, I've always said, why can't, uh, you know, a Black woman be running the KKR of Africa? Um, so that is that is the vision, uh, is to grow Arua um, into, into a large, um, a large Pan-African gender lens investor that is really able to inspire um, you know, other African women that may have wanted to start their own funds, but have been, you know, discouraged uh, or disincentivized to do so because of the of the lack of access to capital coming to to Black women as as fund managers. So we we really want to be that case study because there's less than ten um, private equity funds on the continent that's being run by women right now, um, and even less when you when you think about the Black African women running funds. Um, so we're really intentional about using our portfolio to really showcase those success stories so we can inspire the next generation and make the business case so that, you know, institutional, global institutional investors uh, don't see us as, as the exception uh, anymore. Um, so that's what we're focused on uh, doing at Arua. So when you think about becoming the KKR of Africa, um, what kind of returns are you targeting and promising to to your investors as you, as you go down this path? We are, you know, looking to generate returns like any other, you know, uh, growth equity fund. So we are targeting net returns of between 25 to 30 percent IRR um, and um, net returns of at least three times um, three times investment ca invested capital uh, over the over the investment period. Um, so, you know, and our existing portfolio is already surpassing that. Um, so, yeah, so we're, you know, we're excited about, uh, you know, changing the narrative of what it means to be uh, a female capital, capital allocator in Africa. Uh, you know, we're not pink and soft. We're not, uh, <laughs> we're not, uh, we, you know, we're not, uh, you know, just uh, not, not we, we can stand shoulder to shoulder against any other uh, man that's running their, their funds. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, well, we wish you you go from success to success. Thank you very much. Hema, um, let's close out asking you the same type of question. What kind of returns are you talking to your investors about? Yeah, so, and you know, I just wanted to first say, you know, to Azusa, to your, to where you look to the future, 
you already are doing that because of work that you're doing. People like me who are following thereafter, you're setting the benchmark. So I'm really excited about the work you're doing. And like you said, normalizing the space of female fund management, gender lens investing and otherwise. And, you know, one day when I grow up, I want to be like you. <laughs> so that's where, you know, where I look to the future. And, um, but on that note, so very similarly, so likewise, we're looking at returns around 25% and uh, money on invested invested capital um, around 3x. And we we certainly do hope to surpass that. Very clear with us that, you know, we're setting up fund one with fund two and three in mind. Fund one, like it as well, but in a different way for me as a first-time fund manager is about setting track record, about showing and proving that this hypothesis works that we see the returns from a highly commercial perspective and that, you know, we will then follow on with a later stage um, seed to series A fund. Um, And that's really, you know, where the full focus is right now. Well, it's been our privilege to be able to speak to you women who are conquering Africa in the venture capital and private equity worlds, doing so with a gender lens focus and having impact. I know that this is not the last time we will hear from Adeswa or Hema. You have much to accomplish as you go forward in your first, second, and third funds. And we hope you'll come back and talk to us as you continue to grow and tell us the stories of the impact that you've had and the great returns you've given to your investors in the future. We wish you both very good luck as you embark down that trail. And we thank you for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Hema. Right back at you. This is Teresa Clark, and I'm going to sign off for the Igniting Impact series, sponsored again by Standard Bank. We are here finishing our conversation with Adeswa Okombu-Rhodes and Hema Valba. Thank you so much to both of you. Bye-bye.